Welcome, everybody, to Books with Cooks, a podcast for bookies and foodies. Hi, I'm Jess. And I'm Alex. And we're two cousins who are also best friends who love to read. Yeah. And I love to cook. And I cook to survive. We'll be reviewing, analyzing, sometimes overanalyzing, and discussing the books we're currently reading, as well as new and old recipes from our kitchen to yours. By the way, we're real people with real families. So you may hear cats, dogs, birds, babies, and husbands. So enjoy that bonus material. Now let's get booking and have a tasty chat. to this episode for some bonus content. Before we get started, we want to include some trigger warnings. This book and the following discussion will include topics of violence, death, murder, and some strong sexual content. So please be aware of that before you proceed. Also, just be aware that there will be cursing and spoilers in this episode. So if that's something you're sensitive to, or if you haven't read the book yet, you may want to skip this episode and come back to it in the future. All right. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Books with Cooks. Jess. What are we snacking on today? I, shocker, not sponsored, have a sugar-free Red Bull again for the win. Woohoo! <laughs> nice. <laughs> I know. I just finished up dinner. We had Kidoba night. So yeah, I love Kidoba. Yes, it was yums, but obviously I'm not snacking now because I am full. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? What you eating? What you snacks? I'm not snacking on anything. I do have my coffee as usual. And just so everybody out there is aware, my parents came to visit this weekend and my dad said that I haven't properly credited the coffee source. So <laughs> it is my latte a la Ernie. And he taught, he taught me how to make the best iced latte. So thanks, dad. This is your shout out for the, the coffee king. Yeah, he's a solid barista. He is a solid barista. <laughs> Uncle Ernie making coffee. Yum. <laughs> But yeah, we uh, we just finished up dinner not too long ago, a couple hours. Uh, I made spaghetti with sauce and then I made uh, chicken meatballs. So it actually, I thought it came out pretty good, but I ran nice. out of grated cheese. So it didn't have any, any grated cheese that would have made it a little bit better, but Overall, it's pretty good. I baked today. I made mm. um, those pumpkin muffins that I gave the mm. recipe to a couple of episodes back. And I also tried a new recipe today, which was pumpkin muffins with cream cheese stuffed in it. Oh, my God. And it's crumb amazing. on top. It's Oof. they're delicious. I'm definitely going to have to share the recipe in the future. And I love that spice. In the fall, I have to have the spice. The cream cheese filling sounds amazing. Yeah, that was the best part. So <laughs> they were really good. Yeah. But, uh, I wanted to just uh, give some tips out, too, to those of you out there who might be afraid to annotate or those who do annotate or those who have in the past and want to pick it up again but feel overwhelmed you could do it <laughs> we believe in you now i don't like to write in my books i'm not one of those alex i don't i said think you said you don't either no no don't desecrate the I book <laughs> yeah i don't like to mess up the book i've seen people actually like ripping up books and throwing them in the ocean and that hurt me mm. in my core 
Wow. But for this, yeah. But for this, if you do, you know, no shame to you. If you do get your highlighters, get your pens, that's fine. Uh, I'm a sticky note girl or um, those sticky tabs. I really like those. I like them themed for different colors, for different things, important details, you know, quotes, different characters get different colors. If things you want to remember or save for later. Mm-hmm. For us doing the podcast, I picked it up again. I used to do this all the time in school, but I picked it up again because, you know, it just makes it easier to make notes for myself to mention to you guys. But there's uh, there's no wrong way to do it. You do it based on your own reading style and your preferences. And if you want to get started, it does help you organize things better. But I did want to say too, that recently I picked up a Kindle scribe. Shout out to Brian from Apple. I did it. I got it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I did try it out. We are reading now Divine Rivals for future episodes. So stay tuned yeah. for that. And I did actually try it out. It is little sticky notes, just like I'm used to that you put in the margins. And I am really liking it so far. So if you were thinking about picking up a scribe, but you weren't sure, do it. I mean, it, it definitely seems if you are, you know, somebody who annotates, I think that you might like it. And this was the perfect episode to bring that up in because fourth wing scribes, you know, you feel me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that might be something I budget for for the future, maybe. Yeah. It sounds yeah, like a nice feature. Yeah. But again, if you are those type of people that uh, that write in, in there, we don't judge you. We love book readers. Uh, we love you all the same. So <laughs> do what you do and do what you love. And that's that. So you're right. welcome. Thanks, Jess. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's time for the word of the day. Remember that we encourage our listeners to use these words in your daily conversations and with us on our socials. Stay tuned at the end of this episode when we will give out our sassy spatula award to whoever correctly uses the word in conversation during the previous episode. Each word of the day will come from the Word of Day Vocabulary Workbook by Francine Puckley or Franny the Pucks. Follow the link in bio to get a copy for yourself. Without further ado, today's word of the day is... Denigrate, spelled D-E-N-I-G. R-A-T-E, pronounced de-ni-grate. It is a verb that is defined as to defame or slander. For example, my opponent's ceaseless attempts to denigrate me during this campaign reached a new low when she accused me of being on the side of the neo-Nazi movement. Wow, okay. All right, Jess, well, let's come up with some additional examples to help us remember the word denigrate. Can you think of an example or two? Yeah, I feel like uh, Dane was often denigrating Violet in this Mm -hmm. book. Yeah. Okay. I actually, my example also involves Dane. So when Amber is about to be executed, he denigrates or he accuses Violet of denigrating Amber. That's correct. He does. We do not like him. (laughs) Not up in here. Uh, Don't call me names because then I feel like you're denigrating me. Hmm. Also, I don't know if denigrating is a thing, but it is right now because I said it twice. Yeah. Both my examples. It's a verb. So you should be able to use it as denigrating. Yeah. Yeah. You could verbing. Yeah. (laughs) Before we give you the make it stick activity for today, here's some trivia about the word denigrate. First used in the 16th century, the word's roots lie in the Latin denigrare, meaning to blacken. All right. Very interesting to blacken. Mm -hmm. Hmm. So today's make it stick activity, which will also be posted on our socials for you to engage with, is using denigrate, write about a recent story you read or saw that slandered an individual. All right. So looking forward to what you guys come up with. As you know, we are all about booking and cooking. So let's get into our ingredient of the week. This week's ingredient is oranges. Inspired by Violet's victory in her mat challenge against Jack Barlow, 
We will make something using that ingredient to discuss in our potty episode, which will air on Thursday. Send us recipe suggestions on our socials and we may feature them in the future. Okay, everyone. So into our book discussion we go. So the second half of this novel picks up with the reveal that wing leader Amber Mavis assisted in the attack against Violet by giving the unbonded cadets her room number and unlocking the door for them. Zayden and Dane react very differently to this information. Zayden believes her immediately and takes action to avenge Violet, ultimately resulting in the execution of Amber. Dane, on the other hand, believes that Violet must be mistaken and demands that she put a stop to Zayden's actions. He also demands that Violet give him her memories of the incident incident to prove to him that it happened. She refuses because he would then see the memory of her stopping time with Andarna's powers, which cannot happen. What are your thoughts on these reactions and this scene as a whole? I loved this scene. Yeah. I thought this scene was so entertaining to read. But what's up with Dane? Okay. Why why every time? Why do you keep denigrating my girl Violet? (laughs) All right. Every single time, you know, he's he doesn't believe her. And and what's with the demands? Why are you demanding that she give you her memories? Why are you demanding that she let this girl Amber go that you know what a year two years but you know Violet your entire life just didn't sit right with me I I just can't stand Dane I just feel like you know he's a real shady character if you're supposed to be best friends with this person he's not living up to the hype of a best friend okay he's not supportive of her and he's so quick to demand that Violet show him the truth because otherwise she's lying Mm -hmm. I don't know I I felt like Amber's fate was justified what happened to her was based off of her trying to kill Violet. Why aren't, why isn't Dane more supportive of being like, why would you try to kill my best friend? If you cared about me at all, you wouldn't try to hurt Violet. I don't know. There's just a lot to unpack in this scene, but as a whole, I really enjoyed it. So yeah, I really liked this scene as well. And Dane just once again is giving, you know, just real red flag vibes. (laughs) He, in this scene, I, it really reminded me of almost like a sexual assault type thing where he was demanding something of Violet that she didn't want to give him. I felt like it had those undertones, even though that wasn't, you know, what was happening, but it felt, I, that's how I felt reading it. It felt like it was a violation of Violet. He was, you know, yelling at her saying, give me your memories, give me your memories. And she luckily, you know, didn't, um, she didn't get close enough to him where he would, because I think at one point she even insinuates that he looked like he was going to maybe try to like go for her face to touch her face and just take her memories without even getting permission. So I, I really enjoyed just seeing the whole dynamic of this scene. I really liked that Zayden didn't question her at all. And he immediately believed her. And I think this once again comes down to Dane just for some reason thinking that if you're in a position of leadership, you can do no wrong. He has a lot of respect for this chain of command type of situation. Although Violet also calls him out on his hypocrisy here because then she's saying, well, yeah, Amber's a wing leader, but so is Zayden. Are you saying Zayden's lying? And I think we can maybe infer that Dane doesn't trust Zayden because he's a marked one and not so much because of his status as a wing leader, which he worked hard to get to. You know, he at least he deserves to be there. So Dane, you know, not having the respect for him and choosing to just believe that Amber couldn't have done this simply because she was a wing leader is really telling about Dane 
and what you know where his allegiances lie and things like that he's also yeah. super disrespectful to violet yeah you know how are you so quick to trust someone you barely know and then so quick to distrust somebody you grew up with yeah just ugh, dane. i Blech. think i know i think dane and amber had some type of like sexual wow. uh yeah some type of sexual relationship prior to the book starting i think they mentioned something like that so i guess maybe if he had slept with violet he would be more willing to you know take her side on something but no he didn't so he's gonna go with amber yeah that's maybe not they, fair but they, <laughs> i don't know it just seems insinuate, like i don't know if they say it but they definitely insinuate that something went down between the yeah, two of them. yeah well before amber is executed violet is conflicted and questions whether this is the right decision particularly because she's upset by the reaction of amber's dragon so what do you think of her internal conflict on the matter i really liked this i liked seeing violet it's very true to her character she doesn't yes. really you know want to see people killed she was very compassionate towards the dragon she kind of says that she didn't feel so upset about amber as much as she did about her dragon who was suffering as a result of amber being killed however she does feel conflicted about the whole thing she does kind of beg for it to stop at one point she's like no please maybe i can talk to her and taryn and zayden are just like absolutely not <laughs> like she tried to yeah. kill you this is it this is how it is taryn i think straight up says like this is how it is you need to be on board with this yes. and i but i once again i enjoy seeing this conflict in violet i like seeing that she is this reluctant hero and doesn't want to be you know having people executed she would rather try to resolve things non-violently whether it's the right thing or not that depends on your point of view but i i enjoyed reading about the conflict that she was having internally and to also to see sorry guys i talk with my hands a lot so i'm always hitting the microphone i'm sorry <laughs> if you hear it <laughs> uh but I, I liked seeing the reactions also from Taryn and, and Zayden as well. Yeah, I agree. This is definitely on character for Violet. If we didn't have this, it wouldn't have been you know true to her nature. She's someone who doesn't want to kill. She was thrown into this quadrant. She was trained to be a scribe. So you see her working through this as she uses her brain. You know, she's thinking, oh, this isn't maybe this isn't the right choice. I don't want someone to die. Even though this um, woman broke into her room and let these others who were trying to kill her. Uh, so obviously, you know, she would have every right to feel this woman doesn't deserve to live. And she doesn't really make a case for Amber so much. But I loved to see her upset, particularly about the dragon, considering how the dragon will mourn. Very, very on character for Violet, for sure. Yeah. And they do make you feel bad for the dragon in this scene as well. I know even as I was reading it, I felt kind of bad. I I was like, oh, maybe we don't have to kill her. <laughs> because Clyde was like, he wanted to try to, I don't know if actually Clyde is a male or female, but I, I think it was a he. He was trying to defend her. She was like, Clyde, please do something, you know, do something. And he tried to, and Taryn was just like, absolutely not, bitch, get in line. And he was just yeah. like, okay, you're a lot bigger than me. But it was, it was sad to read about. And I liked that this wasn't a super black and white scene. I liked that there was that gray area where, you know, you're seeing two sides of this situation. Yes. The whole scene definitely makes you feel something. Something, yeah, which is what you want from when you're reading a book, a great book. 100%. So. Yeah. So shortly after the execution of Amber, Violet and Zayden kiss for the first time. I know we were all waiting for it. <laughs> uh, Zayden does stop the kiss before it can escalate any further to Violet's dismay. She wanted it to go further. He did not think that she was acting on her own wants and needs. At this point, she had just started channeling Taryn's powers and she was kind of feeling his emotions because he and Sigal were, I don't know, getting jiggy with it, dragon style. Wow. So she, Zayden believes that she's just acting on those desires of Taryn. What are your thoughts? 
thoughts on this scene? I think she was acting on her own desires, but they were being super propelled <laughs> by <laughs> the actions of the two dragons. Uh, did I want to see them go further? Hell yeah. Uh, but, you know, I really love that Zayden stops this before it goes further because it shows it's, it's similar to a man in real life. Just, you know, if a woman's intoxicated or something and he doesn't want her to proceed. I thought it was very gentlemanly of him. But also, you know, he does... Uh, there was some foreshadowing here where there is a storm brewing in the sky while they're kissing and he has some thoughts and he looks up and he says, oh, maybe we should maybe we should stop because something's definitely happening here. Uh, so that I'll zip lock why there was a storm brewing for a later question. Yeah. But uh, I loved the scene. I thought it was really interesting to learn that, you know, they feel the power of the dragons like that and how they can learn to control it. And I really appreciated that Zayden was helping her to curb that feeling that she was getting from this power rather than to try and, you know, violate her or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, harm her in any way. So I was happy to see Zayden be the good guy. Yeah, I, I loved that about this scene that I, I agree with you. This made me feel like it was Rebecca Yaros kind of uh, comparing it almost to a situation where a partner, whether it's male or female, is maybe intoxicated and you're not sure if this is really what they want or if they're just inebriated to the point where they're, you know, not really thinking clearly. So he decided to put a stop to it because he he didn't know. I agree with you that I think it was Violet's desire to, you know, I think she's kind of made that clear because we do get her perspective throughout the book. However, he had no way of knowing that. So I do think it was it was very important for that to happen in this book. And I think that it, it was nice to see that from Zayden because and it leaves again, us it just, the, yeah, it leaves us with the question, does Zayden because we can't hear his thoughts. You know, we he, we can maybe judge a little by his actions, but does he want, did he want it to go further if this wasn't being propelled by the dragon's power as well? Mm -hmm. So interesting to see that unfold in the future. Yeah. yeah. And I did also really like seeing him try to, or not trying, he does teach Violet how to control the channeling of the power and how to block out those emotions from Tarn when she doesn't want to be feeling them. It was really nice to see him once again help her in this in this quadrant in this world this is something I, I don't know if they teach this in the classes they never mention it in the book whether it gets taught in the classes or not but it was nice to see him especially as somebody in a leadership position teaching somebody how to go through this as someone who had already done it so I just really enjoyed the whole thing and then of course it was nice to see from the romance perspective, them <laughs> share a kiss after a lot of tension and banter and just a lot of build up to this point. Hell yes. <laughs> <laughs> So while completing her job task of visiting the scribe's quadrant with her new shadow, Liam, assigned to protect her by Zayden, they drop a scroll intended for Professor Markham and they read it, discovering that there was a new attack on the southern border of Navarre. They expect to hear about this in Battle Brief later that day, since it doesn't say that it was confidential letter. However, it is not mentioned in class. So why do you think the professors keep this information hidden? Yeah, so this I found really interesting. I loved seeing this happen in the book. I think that they're hiding information. I think they don't want these cadets to know the reality of what's going on at the borders. They don't want them to know how severe the situation is. Why they're doing that, I think I can only speculate, but I think it's because they, A, want everyone here to believe that they're on the good side, they're on the winning side, that, you know, they need to 
present as a strong front and that if they are if they're disclosing that they're constantly getting attacked or that the situation is as dire as it is, that it's not going to appear that they're as strong. And it also might create some type of panic among the cadets. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think it doesn't exactly boost morale if they're finding out that there's this force out there that I'll zip lock and I won't say until later, but there's a force essentially that, you know, the riders are losing to. They keep losing riders. They keep, you know, having to battle something that they can't really defeat. So I think that if they tell that to the riders quadrant, you know, in the class, it, it might not necessarily inspire motivation, it might help, it might wouldn't help necessarily, but I don't agree with that necessarily because I feel like this would help prepare them for what's really out there. This is information that they should be telling them to prepare them. So this way they have a clearer picture of what they will be facing once they're outside the walls of the school. So, you know, I I don't think that they should be hiding the information, uh, but I think that that's in line with the real world in a way. You know, sometimes you know, the higher powers that be, they don't disclose information to civilians or, you know, they don't want to cause widespread panic. Uh, so they will not disclose information until several decades later or so. But that's civilians, you know, maybe not to, I don't necessarily agree with it, but it's not necessarily the same in this situation because these are the people that would be on the front lines fighting yeah. um, these these type of forces. So this is information that I feel would be vital for them to know. And yeah. the fact that they're disclosing it is very suspicious. Yeah. And very problematic as well. It's very dangerous to not be giving them the reality of the situation, knowing that these are the people that are going to be called in when they need reinforcements and they have no idea what they're up against. I think it's extremely problematic. Yeah, it's dangerous for sure. Yeah. So while walking with Zayden, Violet comes across her mother and some other generals, including Dane's father. During this interaction, General Sorengale, Violet's mother, shows no affection to Violet whatsoever. She makes it clear that she expects her to manifest a signet as soon as possible and that she expects it will be powerful given that she is bonded with Taryn. It's also made clear that General Sorengale and the other generals have a distaste for Zayden. How did you interpret this interaction between Violet and her mother? What are your thoughts on how they react to Zayden? And how do you think Zayden perceived this interaction? So I really did enjoy reading this scene. I really liked to see how Violet's mother was so contrasting to Dane's father. And we hate Dane, but his dad was very civil to Violet, very kind. You would Something you would expect from someone who watched her grow up as a child. He seems caring and interested in her training and, you know, everything that she's been up to at this point. Her mother is cold. Her mother gives her hardly any affection at all, any care as to what's going on uh, with her training. It, it would almost seem like Dane was actually, uh, Dane's father rather, sorry, was actually her parents rather than General Sorengale. So it was interesting to see that interaction. As far as the distaste for Zayden, I think they make it very clear that they have prejudice against these marked kids uh, that are in the quadrant. I think that the way that Zayden perceives the interaction, however, is very important because now he gets to see for himself that she's not necessarily General Sorengale's daughter, her mother and Violet have zero relationship, you know? So it's not like, you know, she would definitely side with her mom or she has any uh, anything in common with her mother. So I think it was interesting to watch him see that unfold, the whole interaction. And I'm, I'm hoping that maybe it gives him a clearer view of who Violet is. And Violet, of course, every time she sees her mother, if you vies for her mother's attention, she wants to make her mother proud. But it seems that no matter what she does or how far she comes, her mother's old business. So, yeah. Same I, I love this scene. This is one of my favorite scenes in the book. And 
I know it's a very low key scene. It's not a lot of action or anything, but I think it tells us so much about the characters. Yeah. And this interaction between Violet and her mother, I think is extremely telling about their relationship. As soon as Violet even sees that they're coming, it's described in the book that she kind of like snaps to attention. She's very formal. She seems maybe a little tense. It's very inform. Um, it's very formal, the interaction. It's almost as if she were talking to any cadet out of a lineup, like she had no relationship to Violet whatsoever. And then as you mentioned, on the other hand, you have Dane's father who is saying, oh, how are you, Violet? You know, so nice to see you, much more warm and welcoming. And, yeah. you know, I, I thought much that that- cordial. Yeah, I thought that it was just very uh, interesting to see those two different dynamics. I thought the way that they react to Zayden is very telling. I, mm-hmm. There's clearly a lot of distrust of him among them. There's clearly a dislike for people or, ch- you know, the, the children of these rebels. So mm-hmm. it was it was definitely, I think, helpful for Violet to see that. I think it was helpful for her to see how Zayden is reacted to throughout his time in the writer's quadrant. We also see this a little bit in the earlier scene where she and Liam, they discover the scroll for Professor Markham. Prior to that, they're walking into the scribe's quadrant and the cadet who's letting them in is very friendly and open to Violet. And then as soon as he sees Liam, he shuts down. He's very cold towards him. So I think that this is just once again, demonstrating the challenges that the marked ones have in this quadrant on top of everything else. And then I think it was also important for Zayden to see what it's like for Violet and the interaction that she has with her mom. I think he found this very curious because up until this point, he really had no idea what their relationship was like. And I think he even makes it a point to say like, oh, I didn't know it was quite like that between you two. And I think he he might've been maybe waiting to see because he had mentioned earlier in an earlier chapter that she didn't or no actually he mentions it right after this interaction that she didn't tell her mother about Antarna or anything else and I think that now he has a better understanding of why she doesn't disclose things to her mother and maybe it's not as much of a surprise as he might have thought it was because they really don't have much of a relationship yeah I mean he definitely knows before the scene he definitely knows that uh, the mother isn't exactly working in Violet's favor she throws her into the writer's quadrant against her wishes she was trained to be a scribe and all of a sudden you know nope you're going in this quadrant instead so I think he definitely has some inkling at first that obviously the mother and Violet aren't necessarily besties <laughs> but um but after this scene I think he definitely has a full picture that okay this is definitely not you know quote General Soringale's daughter you know what I mean she's her own person and obviously she She's exactly ha- having the best relationship with her mom. So yeah. it was it was it was interesting to see that whole scene play out. Yeah, I really liked it. There was a lot of tension felt too while I was reading it. During this interaction, actually, uh, Dane's father requests permission to study Andarna, which Violet declines. He also inquires about research that Violet's father had been working on regarding feather tails and asks if Violet may know where her father's notes may be located. Violet once again declines, and despite indicating internally that she's aware of where they are. So what do you think would have happened had Violet agreed to ask permission from Andarna to have them study her? And why do you think Violet declines to disclose the location of her father's notes? So... I definitely think if she had granted them permission, which I don't think there's really any scenario in which Violet would do this, but A, I think she knows she doesn't really have the right to give that kind of permission. Only the dragon really does. So if she had told them, yeah, I'll ask her for you, or yeah, you know, you can go and ask her yourself or something along those lines, it would have resulted in a complete 
breaking of the trust between her and Tarn, her and Andarna. I would imagine this would lead even to a possible unbonding. I'm not sure if that's a thing that can happen, but I just don't think there's any way that they're able to continue working together if she allows this to happen. Okay. It's a total violation of trust. It's a violation of Andarna's right to privacy and just in general, her, her I was going to say her person. She's not a person. She's a dragon. That's her to, dragon. To her dragon body. Uh, <laughs> And I think that she declines to disclose the location of her father's notes because she knows that there may be something in there that they can then either use against her or that they may then use to just supersede her and say, well, we need more information about this dragon and we're going to study her. We don't really need your permission. We're just going to go and do it. And right. I, I think, you know, she's not going to allow that to happen. I think she doesn't want to violate her father's trust. Obviously, if they can't find it, he has them hidden for a reason. And I think she just knows that they don't need this information. And if there is anything in there that could lead to it, she's not going to let that happen. Right. Yeah, I agree. And you know, for those of you not reading the book, Andarna is a Feathertail dragon, and there's very little known about Feathertails. Obviously, we know from, from reading that Andarna is a young dragon. So something about Feathertails is that they're young, they can't necessarily control their powers. Of course, if Violet lets them study her, she would never allow this because she would never cause any distrust uh, or ever let them cause any harm to Andarna. She protects her as if she would a child because she is a child in the dragon <laughs> world. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, she would never allow them to to harm her. She would never even ask. Uh, that's out of the question. She would never ask Andarna for them to study her. They would hurt Andarna. They could possibly kill her. And of course, they would find out information about, you know, uh, how Andarna passed on powers to her related to time. And she couldn't risk that because then they they could possibly kill Violet. They could kill Andarna. It would cause complications for her. Her relationship would be damaged with Andarna and of course she would never allow it to happen. She definitely just does not disclose the information about her father's notes as well because yes, like you said, definitely would uh, jeopardize Andarna's life and Andarna's, you know, secrets, so to speak. But it would also um, maybe tarnish her father's name. It might denigrate her father's reputation because he did have uh, studies and, and books that he shared with Violet that were considered taboo, considered illegal that we find out later. And so I'll ziplock that for now. But, you know, of course she's not going to disobey her father's trust either a father who obviously loved her and cared for her safety to a mother or you know who obviously clearly does not so yeah I loved that scene I thought the whole scene is just interesting yeah I really I don't know why but I just I loved it so much I loved there's so much tension while I was reading it and even upon like subsequent readings I still felt that tension I just yes. love it it was so it was so on character for Violet she would never she would yeah. never go against the dragons yeah so, or her father yeah so Jack finally has a chance to request a fight with Violet on the mats and his request is granted. So Violet, much to the surprise of everyone, wins this duel by using oranges to incapacitate Jack before she discovers that he because I'm sorry, because she discovers that he is allergic to them. She's also gravely injured during this conflict, but prior to passing out, she explains that Jack is allergic to oranges so that he can receive the necessary medical care. What do you think of this? Do you think this was the right decision? So obviously this is again on par with Violet's character. She doesn't want Jack to die even though Jack probably deserves it. And in the, uh, you know, if it was the other way around, Jack wouldn't do this for her. I, I don't know if I agree with the decision. I mean, Jack isn't exactly the greatest guy. But like I said, it's definitely on par with Violet 
she would definitely, you know, uh, she, the, to the fact that she decides to give him something he's allergic to in the beginning to make sure that she can win this fight. You know, she's always using her brain um, and her brain and her heart is another issue. She has a big heart, as we see. So she definitely chooses to, you know, not question her heart when it comes to the life of someone. She's not ready to take a life, even if it is the worst person in the book. You know, somebody who uh, is gunning for her the whole time, wants to kill her. Um, she, she chooses to make sure that he lives in the end. And I think it's the right decision for, you know, Rebecca Yaros to have made Violet made that decision because it's definitely who Violet is. If it were me, would I have made the decision? Uh, they probably would have been poisoned oranges. He would have died on the moon. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> who knows? Yeah. How do you feel? I don't think this was the right decision. He was actively trying to kill her at the time that she does incapacitate him. He definitely deserved to die. He's mm -hmm. going to try to kill her again. He's already tried before. He's going to try again. He's going to come after the people that you love, which he does, which we'll get to in a little bit. But he definitely, she should have just let him die. Do I think that would have been within Violet's character? No, it's much more consistent for her character to make sure that he doesn't die. It wasn't her intention to kill him. She just wanted to win this duel. She just wanted to incapacitate him just like she did with every other opponent. So it makes sense for the book. It makes sense for Violet's character, but she should have killed Jack. <laughs> She, yeah. you know. As we learn too uh, in upcoming questions, she definitely, that decision definitely comes back to haunt her. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's no way, I mean, you know, if she had been thinking about it logically and not so much with her heart in terms of, you know, maybe she just didn't want to be the one to have to kill him. But logically speaking, he is a pattern of behavior. He has consistently tried to kill her from the very moment that he met her. He's going to try again. And next time he might try to come after one of her weaknesses, which is, going after somebody that she loves, somebody that she cares about. And he doesn't, he, you know, he's, he's kind of like a sociopath, you know, he doesn't oh, care. Yeah. So he'll kill anyone that he deems weaker than him or that is an opponent to him. So, you know, she should have just let him die. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? Having a big heart is a great trait to have, you know, in real life. But as far as being in the writer's quadrant, uh, this is definitely, I don't know about coming in of age story for Violet, but definitely uh, you watch her evolve throughout the novel. And at this point, she just wasn't ready to be fully devoted to her role as a writer. Um, but she, she has to learn to let that go. You know, you have to sometimes make the hard decision to kill. And in that case, maybe it would have been best for Jack to go, but definitely in line with her character so I was not surprised by the decision yeah so in the squads war games have officially started Woo for the first task <laughs> each squad must obtain an item that they believe would be most detrimental to the war effort should it be taken by the opposing force Violet squad wins first place Woohoo! go you guys <laughs> with their decision to steal the map from her mother's office of all military outposts which includes troop size and you know where troops are currently located Violet is the mastermind in deciding the plan of action how each member of the squad will play a role and ultimately in the decision to take the map. So what are your thoughts on this scene? I really enjoyed this scene. Yeah, this scene was so much fun. We're seeing astral project projection. We're seeing <laughs> all of their different uh, signets be used in a, you know, battle simulation, not so much a battle simulation, but some type of war situation. Right. Um, and it was just so much fun to read about. It was really fun to see them deciding who was going to be in charge, see them come up with the plan, see how everybody was working it through. It was nice to see Violet stepping up and saying, hey, I have an idea. This is what I think we should do. 
do and then them ultimately choosing to execute that plan. It was nice to see her coming to the conclusion that this map would be the item that would be most detrimental because of the information that, you know, if if it was in your enemy's hands, you're, you, you're, it's like in football, the other team getting your playbook, basically. It would be extremely harmful to their war effort. So I thought that was extremely clever. It was really nice to watch this whole scene. It was a ton of fun to read and to learn about the different signets. It was just really, it was a lot of fun. It was really cool. Oh, I agree. It was the first time we actually get to see the powers in play. And it was so exciting to read about and, you know, how everybody still has to control their powers and, you know, learn to harness them. But we got to see some some action. So that was really exciting. And it definitely, again, is in line with Violet's character. We, I was just saying that how her heart is currently her weakness, but her brain is definitely her strength. And she shines here. Um, she uses her brain and says, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do something a little illegal, go against the rules, break into my mom's office. And I love that they, in the end, too, give her the credit. And they're like, why don't you tell her, you know, how we did it and what we did and came up with the plan since it was your idea. Um, mm-hmm. So it was really great to see the team building there, uh, everybody working together. And it was just pretty exciting to read. Uh, that was a great chapter overall. Yeah, I really loved it. Yeah. And yeah, definitely something detrimental as well. So she did. She did well. Go Violet. Yep. <laughs> so while they're searching her mother's office, Violet discovers a dagger with some tyranny symbols on her mother's desk. Mm-hmm. as well as several scrolls from military outposts requesting reinforcements and detailing the dire situation at the borders. We later find out that these daggers can be used to kill Venon. Why do you think General Sorengale has this dagger? Why do you think the cadets are never made aware of the reality of the situation at Navarre's borders? What do you think is going on here? General Sorengale, you bitch. <laughs> we know that you know. So this is a this is a good scene because it shows that you have to pay attention while you're reading because in the future you find out about like Alex said the the daggers are the ones uh, are the weapons that can kill the venom and for those of you not reading this book venom are these not mages but they're just regular people who harness from the grounds powers rather than uh, bonding with a dragon uh, so it, it was interesting to to find out she thinks at this time uh, that they're just a myth they're not real uh, but we do find out later in the book that they are. Uh, so it was interesting to see that she, General Sorengale, has a dagger on her desk. So she is prepared in case they invade and she has her weapon. I despise her for not preparing her daughter, warning her daughter. What kind of mother are you? You know, not letting her daughter know or at least giving her a dagger. She doesn't even have to say what it's for. Just be like, hey, hang on to this in case you need it, honey. You know, something like that would have been nice to see. Um, but it shows General Sorengale's old business. She doesn't really care about her daughter. Obviously, she threw her in the quadrant. She doesn't care. I don't think that the cadets are ever made aware of it because you know they don't want them to know we had said earlier but also because i guess they maybe are afraid that some of them might take this information and become venom themselves maybe there's someone out there like jack who might harness the the energy himself from the ground and then they'd have more to deal with so perhaps they're withholding this information just so this way nobody abuses that power but again this is a perfect example of how they could be providing this necessary information to prepare them for what they'll face so i thought it was a great scene the fact that the mother has this on her desk is very telling of what side she plays on so yeah so you know at this point in the book we don't know that venon actually exists so we do find this out later however i think in retrospect 
finding out that General Sorengale does have this dagger is pretty indicative that she is aware that Venon exists. She is aware that this is the force beyond the borders that we are fighting against. And they are intentionally keeping the the writers in the dark about this. Not just the writers. It, it appears everybody in the whole school isn't made aware of it because earlier when she's in the Scribes Quadrant, she's asking um, Jasenia to get her the book of fables that she could reread again that is about the Venon and the Wyvern. And Jasenia is like, I've never even heard of that book. I'll look for it for you. No, we don't have it. I've never even heard of these terms before. So clearly this is something that they're trying to keep hidden for whatever reason. You know, we don't really get that answer yet, but it's something that they don't want them to know. And I think that's made clear in the fact that she does have the dagger. So she knows that they exist. She knows how to fight them and she has a weapon for herself to defend herself if needed. Why do I think they're not made aware of the reality of the situation at the borders? And this goes back to the scroll that they found from Professor Markham. They don't want, I think they don't want the cadets to know what they're up against. They don't want to know that they, they don't want them to know how bad it is. And they don't want them to start figuring out what it is that they have to fight against. Maybe they think that they might, you know, leave, that they might leave the writer's quadrant or something along those lines because they don't want to fight them. Maybe they'll start to question the leadership and what they've been hiding and why they've been hiding it. And they are trying to brainwash or indoctrinate this new generation into believing that whatever they say goes, that they're always right, that they are the good guys. And maybe, you know, by the end of the book, we find out maybe that's not necessarily the situation. Maybe they're not the good guys. Maybe they're the most powerful for now, but that doesn't mean that they're right. And they can't have a whole military force that doesn't believe in them. So they need to have them believe that they're on the winning side and they can't know about what's going on outside the borders. And it may also go back to the fact that they're a little prejudiced uh, against the traitors' kids, the marked kids you know, quote, traitors, kids. So perhaps they don't want them to know. They don't necessarily trust them with that information. We don't know yet. It's not really uh, delved into yet in the book. So hopefully Iron Flame will give us those answers. Yep. So as their reward for winning the first tasks, Second Squad is given an opportunity to visit a military outpost at Montserrat, uh, which is about a six-hour flight from Biscayath War College. While there, Rhiannon identifies that they are less than an hour from her family's home and that she wants to go fly and see her sister's, her twin sister, um, who gave birth recently to a baby boy that she has yet to meet. Mira, who is stationed, that's um, Violet's sister, stationed at Montserrat, goes with Violet and Ray, and while there, states that she has a better understanding of the villainous venom from the Book of Fables that was gifted to Violet by their father. She also tells Violet that she bought her the book because she, uh, she brought her the book, sorry, because she knew Violet would want it. So what do you think of Mira's confession that she understands the villains? Okay, yeah, I loved this scene too. This is another one where it's a very low-key scene, but I found it extremely interesting. I This made me really start questioning about what Mira's path is going to be in the coming book and just in general in the future, especially once we find out you know, the big reveal at the end. Where is she going to stand? What side is she going to take? Who will she, who, who is she going to be loyal to? And in this, I think there's a small chance that Mira may go bad. She's telling us, you know, it, it's clear that she read this book of fables because at the beginning of the book, she doesn't even know the name of the Venon. She's like, oh, what's that? about the vermin and stuff and Violet's like it's Ben and Mira <laughs> and she's like whatever it doesn't matter but she keeps you know she holds this book aside she knows that Violet is going to want it eventually it's sentimental to her it was gifted to her by her father and it seems as though she decided to read it herself at some point and now she's saying 
hmm, well, you know, maybe these men didn't have a point. You know, I, there's a lot of people out there that do want power for themselves. So, you know, as you mentioned earlier, Venon, they, instead of channeling power through dragons, they channel it directly from the the earth or, you know, whatever world this is, they they channel it from, from there. So they have just an infinite supply of power and it totally corrupts them and they become almost less than human because they have these red eyes. They can, you know, they're extremely powerful and they're, they're a force to, to be reckoned with. And the fact that Mira would say, I can, I, I can kind of understand why somebody would want to become that. I can kind of understand why somebody would want that kind of power is interesting. And she does say, you know, oh no, I'm not, you know, I'm not sympathizing with them, not empathizing with them, but maybe she is. I don't know. I thought it was very yeah. interesting. And I'm really curious to see where this goes. And like I said, where her allegiance will ultimately lie and whether she'll, you know, maybe go to the dark side. I mean, I'd like to hope that she won't, yeah. but you know, I would hope maybe, uh, I don't want to say what happens at the end of the book until we get there, but that the information Violet finds out at the end of this book, uh, either does Mira know <laughs> or um, either maybe when Mira does find out, if she doesn't know, maybe it'll you know, change that path if she does perhaps potentially want to be bad or not be bad, but you know, want that power for herself. So I think it insinuates that I'm going to speculate here because it's not, you know, necessarily implied, but maybe this is a breadcrumb that she read that book because she knows about the venom and perhaps she's giving this to her sister because she wants to warn her without telling her exactly that they're real. Hey, you know, brush up on your study of this book because you may need it. Uh, So perhaps, you know, I'd like to think Violet's being a good, I mean, um, I'm sorry, Mira's being a good sister to Violet here and giving her the information. If she did know, however, I would, I would question why she didn't tell Violet, why she didn't prepare her. Perhaps maybe she didn't want anybody else to know. She didn't trust Zayden. Zayden was around Violet. Maybe she didn't trust Rihanna. Who knows? But I think it's definitely maybe a breadcrumb either to tell us that Mira, something's going to go on with her or that she, she already knows that something is going on and not letting that on because she does accompany Rihanna and Violet to this village. And I remember Violet saying, oh, what's going to happen in the village? Come on. It's a little village. We're going to go see a baby. Like, really? Of course, I'm going to be fine. You know, and Mira is not okay with that. She says, no, I don't know if you're necessarily going to be fine. She, so she accompanies them. And I think there's a reason behind why she does that, because it is possible if she does know about the venom, that the venom could attack that village and she wants to be there to protect her sister. So I'm hoping, you know, with that and her caring for her sister um, and wanting to protect her, that perhaps there is a light in there that she won't turn dark. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I hope she she doesn't. I do really like Mira as a character. I just thought it would be interesting. It, it would definitely be interesting from a reading standpoint to see that happen, especially definitely. because she's considered to be this great warrior. She's kind of like this hero of the the Navarian military. So to see somebody like that, you know, switch over to the dark side would be a really interesting thing to read about. I don't think that she knows. I think she really was just, I, I think partially the reason she went with them is because Becky Yars wanted us to have an opportunity to see Violet and Mira back together. And this was a good opportunity for that. But also because it is considered to be dangerous just in general to be outside you know, they're in a highly secure military base and there's these two barely trained cadets going out. They don't really know how to use their powers yet. They don't know how to protect themselves well. They're not trained in in these areas. So I think it would make sense that any, you know, older sister would say like, hey, if you're going to go out, you know, late at night away from this secure area, I'm going to come with you because I know I can protect you. I, I didn't really think much of that, but it's possible that she knows and I guess we'll find out. Yeah, I mean, even if she doesn't know about the venom she does know what else is out there that you know yeah. uh, violet makes it there's a point in the book that violet makes that she notices her sister has a fresh scar and 
that the scar likely came from uh what are the other writers the griffin writers right the griffin writers mm -hmm. so obviously you know there are griffin writers out there that perhaps she wants to protect her from yeah. and i think that's interesting too because she's depicted as you know Jaren, general sorengel's mini me in a sense <laughs> you know uh perhaps you know she's going to aspire to be the writer that her mother was and we get a feel that her mother isn't necessarily on the right side maybe so perhaps mira would side with her mother if she does know and uh keep violet in the dark so we have yet to say like I said, which is just speculation right now. So interesting mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I well, I just don't think she knows. And I do think that when she does find out, that's what could potentially lead her to become evil. Uh, mm, yeah. Interesting. That's just what I think is going to happen. So we'll see. We'll see. Um, all right. So later in the book, Violet finds a letter from her father hidden in that book, which suggests that history is written down and passed along from generation to generation, but that it only, quote, takes one desperate generation to erase everything. What do you think this means? Mm, I love that quote. Yeah. So I, I mean, again, this dips into reality. <laughs> the victors write history, right? Or at least that's mm -hmm. what it said. Uh, one generation could essentially erase history. You know, uh, when you're what you learn about in school may not necessarily be what the reality is. It's just what we know based off of what we've been told. So, you know, there is indoctrination for sure in the school because they're not telling them about the venom. They're saying that it's a myth. You know, uh, perhaps they wanted uh, to kill the quote traitors, you know, the marked children's parents because maybe they knew and they wanted to erase their knowledge. And by doing so and executing them, you know, they're, they're, they have less people that are aware of this information. We, we have yet to see that uh, for sure. But I definitely agree with it. It does take one desperate generation to erase everything that does happen. Um, I think the letter is very telling at the father. If he did write this letter, he is trying to desperately warn his children or warn Violet about this. Uh, he wants her to know that he knows some things and that she, you know, not everything may be what it seems and to pay attention, essentially. The other um, thing could be that Mira uh, gave her this book because she either seen the father's letter or perhaps she concocted the letter and put it in there. But again, speculation. We don't know for sure. Either way, um, somebody's warning Violet uh, to pay attention, to wake up to what might be going on around her. And we definitely see that unfold after she gets this letter. So what do you think? Yeah, I love this uh this information. I love this letter. I loved that Violet saw it and starts to question things a little bit. I think she maybe could have questioned things a little bit more, but I think that that was her father's intention. I do think it was him who wrote the note. I think if Mira was going to try to tell her something, she would just tell. I don't think she would pretend it was like from their dad. That just doesn't seem in character. I don't know. But yeah. I think that her dad is trying to tell her, you know, use your brain, you know, you look at what's happening and look at what has happened and don't take necessarily necessarily everything that you're told and believe it's true because you know like he says all you have to do is you know erase it from the books erase it from the the archives and after you know your generation dies out nobody knows that it was there and nobody can learn from it so and once again as i mentioned earlier we do know that this is happening because they don't the archives are supposed to have a copy of every book that's ever been written and they don't have anything on venom including just these kids fables that you know violet wanted to get a copy of she makes it a point to say that you know they should have a copy of this but it's weird that they don't it's weird that jesenia has never heard of it before she seemed very confused by it. So I think that this is Violet's father's way of kind of warning her 
and giving her a heads up that, you know, maybe she's being lied to and that she shouldn't trust everything that she's being told and that she needs to start thinking independently about everything that she sees and start coming to some conclusions for herself. I think that her dad knew something. I think he knew about the venom. I think he knew about the wyvern. I think he tried to stand up against it and was possibly killed as a result and didn't, you know, die from natural causes as they suggest in the book. And I think that that's pretty clear that we get these little breadcrumbs throughout, you know, the novel about all of this. We have these scrolls that are being hidden. We see this dagger that we later find out is used. We have, you know, they're not being, they're not able to find her father's notes. He's leaving these cryptic notes for, for violence. So I think, you know, they're leaving, he's leaving breadcrumbs and we're starting to be able to put these pieces together with what she's experiencing and what her dad's been telling her to, to really paint a picture that the people in charge of this world, this military, I don't know if it's the government or just the military. It seems like the military is the government in this, in this world, but they're hiding something and they don't want anybody to know. And if you find out, or if you try to speak up against it, like perhaps a, a certain rebellion, you will be squashed. And I think, I, I think it is implied in the book that the, re, the re, I almost said the rebellious people again, uh, <laughs> the rebels, uh, the Tyrannese rebels did know about the Venon and the Wyvern. And that's why they were fighting against Navarre because they wanted to be within the wards to keep them safe because the wards only keep the one, the one section of the world safe or the the country, whatever it is, but everything outside of that is kind of left out to be, you know, conquered by the venom. So I think that's kind of what they imply was happening with the rebellion. And that's why they needed to be, you know, executed. Yeah, th- this could be a breadcrumb too, too, because we know for sure that General Sorengill knows. She knows, she knows, right? <laughs> so we know that she knows, who knows, perhaps she's the one, if he was murdered, Violet's dad, perhaps she's the one that, that slain him. That was interesting. Yeah. It's also, so actually I forgot, we talked about this the other day, but I forgot to mention this. So there's a point in the book where Violet says when she was young, her mom came home and her eyes were really red and Violet was terrified of her and thought that she turned into a venom because she'd been reading the book. Is it possible that maybe General mm. Sorengale is kind of dabbling in, you know, pulling power from the earth or, you know, the world. And maybe that's why, you know, she doesn't want this, this rebellion or this army to be taken out maybe she's working with them who knows or maybe you know she has that kind of inkling that that mira has that you know actually there's some benefits to this and i can understand why they would want this and maybe it's the right thing for me who knows who knows maybe her eyes were just red yeah well i think that might be another breadcrumb that we can hold on to for when we read future books yeah but you know it reminds me too uh, i just watched uh the tv show silo on apple if Mm -hmm. anyone hasn't seen that i highly recommend uh and there is a book series too that maybe in the future we would like to uh to dive into yeah but in that in that also um same situation you know they're um a civilization that lives underground and there was a rebellion of some sort and basically the higher powers make it seem that the rebellious civilians uh that they were trying to ruin everything so they seem you know they want basically the bottom line is that they they don't want people to rebel they don't want future people to uh rebel against you know what the powers that they have and everything that they've built so this reminded me of that this is the same type of situation where a generation can erase things you know you don't really know your history just like in the silo they were um being the information was being withheld from them 
so they won't rebel. So I feel like maybe this is what's happening here. They don't want another rebellion. They don't want to have to uh, kill yeah. off potential soldiers, you know, people who would be on their side. So they're withholding that information so that they don't have that same issue happen once more. Um, and so very interesting. Yeah. And they're getting indoctrinated right into their own mindset, you know, exactly. because they don't know any better. I love this. I love everything yes. about it. And I love the little like puzzle pieces that we get throughout the book too, because when you start reading it, you're like, oh, what does that mean? What does that mean? What is this going to result in? And then eventually when you discover everything, you're like, yeah, oh my God, so much fun. <laughs> yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. So while at Montserrat, uh, Zayden shows up and we discover two things. Taryn and Scale can only be separated for approximately three days. And Zayden and Violet can communicate telepathically the same way they communicate with their dragons. Very interesting. Do you think the mind speaking is beneficial or harmful? to Violet and Zayden. Yeah, I think overall this is beneficial because I think even Taryn uh, states in the book that it can be extremely helpful in battle because you can communicate with one another from far away. If you're both on dragon back, you know, you probably can't hear somebody while you're both flying around on dragons. You can still communicate. You can also communicate privately if you are in a group setting. Maybe you're with your enemies at the time. You can still communicate with one another. I think that's extremely beneficial. The only way I could see it being harmful is if if one party isn't able to control it and the other one can, if it's a violation of trust, you know, I don't, they don't really get into how it works so much. Can the other person just read their thoughts? Can they only feel things that they're feeling or, you know, can they only just talk to them? We don't really get that a lot of information about that. So I'm hoping we get a little bit more parameters to this uh, in the next book. But overall, I think it can be pretty much only beneficial with maybe just, you know, making sure that we're not just listening to each other's thoughts for no reason. <laughs> yeah, I would like some more clarity on that too. I'm hoping Iron Flame will provide that for us as they start to learn how to, you know, harness and control that. I think overall, I agree with you. It's beneficial because when you're in a war setting, you don't have to scream something out. You can, you know, if you're with your enemies, you they don't have to hear you say what your next move is. You can just telepathically tell one another the, the plan and, and execute it that way. Mm -hmm. um, it's also helpful as we see later on when there is a battle um, that they communicate with each other and warn the other, hey, you know, there's something underneath you. Oh, look to your left. Um, so that's very beneficial. It can be harmful though, if, you know, it's a distress distraction, of course, or if it's an invasion of privacy, you know, I don't want you in my brain right now. Get out of here. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, but overall, I think it's very beneficial and it's definitely a great war tool. It's, it's a good weapon if yeah. you use it the correct way. Yeah. So I, I love it. I think it's so interesting uh, that they're bound to one another telepathically like they have the power with their dragons. I, I just think it's a pretty cool aspect. Yeah. You know, cool power. It's like an added power in, in addition to their existing ones. Very, yeah. very interesting. Mm -hmm. So Mira is concerned about Violet's training once Zayden graduates from Beskayeth and once he gets stationed at a military outpost. So she believes that because the dragons cannot be separated for longer than three days, that she's constantly going to be pulled from her training and out at these military outposts and just not getting the training that she needs to be able to survive because of their dragon bond. Do you think her concerns are valid or that she, like, like Dane is being overly protective of Violet. I, know, so, every, I feel like every time Dane's name comes up, you just get this look on your face. I know, because I'm just like, ugh, disgusted with Dane, you know? Uh, I think her concerns are valid as a sister, you know, from a sister standpoint. Of course, she's worried for her sister and she wants to make sure that her sister's not distracted, but or that she's being pulled from her studies and she's not getting the proper training. Uh, I do think, though, um, 
you know, because we get to see Zayden does come and he does say to her, hey, I'm here. You know, I'm not at the college. Uh, I came here. She didn't come to me. So I think she gets a, a an idea that maybe Zayden is more willing to compromise his own education or his own training or experiences in battle to be where Violet needs him to be. But of course, I think that she is being, you know, a sister and it's justified for her to care for her sister i don't think she's being overprotective in the way dane is because i think dane is just being you know an unsupportive little douchebag uh, <laughs> who is you know not being overprotective necessarily maybe being more selfish or perhaps uh jealous of violet's successes I i'm not sure what dane's ultimate you know, ulterior motives are. Um, but I think that, that, you know, as Mira is concerned, it comes from a place of concern and, and actual genuine, genuine love um, and care for Violet and her yeah. well-being. Yeah, I think this is a good example of the difference between being protective and being concerned versus being overprotective. And Dane is overprotective. He He's protective of Violet when she doesn't need it and he doesn't express his concerns to her. He only, you know, tries to think about what he thinks is best and then makes decisions based on that. Whereas Mira is addressing the situation exactly how I would expect an older sibling to address this with a younger sibling. It would make sense that she's concerned about her. She wants to make sure that she's safe. She doesn't die. And she doesn't really know much about Zayden other than the fact that his father was a traitor. And, you know, she's she's been eating or drinking the same Kool-Aid that everyone else has. She believes that they were bad. You know, she has no reason to trust Zayden and she has every right to be concerned about Violet. But I like that she addresses this with her. She, she says, you know, this is a concern. What are you going to do? And I like that Violet Violet stands up for herself and she says, well, you know, that's for us to figure out, but like, you know, don't worry about it. It'll be okay. And I liked that Zayden stepped in and was like, well, look, I'm here. I came to her. I didn't, you know, Taryn didn't pull her back to me, you know, but, you know, we'll have to navigate this the best way we can, but we'll make sure that Violet stays safe. And Mira, you know, says like, well, you better, <laughs> you know, you better make sure she stays safe because if you don't, <laughs> like I'm coming, I'm looking at you. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And I, I liked that. I, I really enjoyed this scene. And and I liked seeing that that difference between Mira's concerns versus Dane's concerns and how they they chose to go about it. And I I think it makes sense. You know, I think this is within Mira's character. And I think that it just makes sense in general from a sibling perspective to, you know, want to protect somebody that you care about. Yeah. And, you know, it's sad, too, because Dane did grow up with her. She, he's I don't want to say so much like like a sibling or like a brother because they had a love interest in each other at one point. But they're definitely, you know, tight like family. I mean, they grew up together since they were very young. And we see here Dane not necessarily being overprotective because where Mira is concerned for her well-being in the beginning, say, oh don't bring that don't have a heavy pack you know make sure it's lighter don't bring so many things um you know your boots are going to be slipper or whatever the case may be she was definitely looking out for her and i feel like if mira had more time with her she would work with her about you know mm -hmm. um her training skills whereas dane who does have time with her never gives her any assistance or anything beneficial to help her the way zayden does so i think it's very telling um mm -hmm. you know of yeah. the differences there and i think dane and me and mira yeah and i think the big difference here too is that mira's concerns are valid where a lot of Dane's concerns were not valid. You know, Dane was like, oh, you can't, you can't do this. You can't do that. Well, I'm here and I have to do it. So what other advice can you give me besides I shouldn't, I should just leave, you know? Right. You know, Mira has every right to be concerned about this. She, you know, Violet does need her training. She is going to be in a pickle 
one one state and graduates with their You're a pickle. You're a pickle. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I it, it makes sense. Her her concerns are valid and she addressed them in a very mature way that made sense. And Dane's Dane's concerns are childish, you know. They they're very um old school. I think you mentioned in our last episode that they're very uh kind of like sexist, you know, like, oh, yeah. you're just you're just a, a small girl. You there's right. nothing you can do that's going to right. get you through I'm this. I'm a man. Yeah. yeah. But so. are you though, Dane? Are you a man, Dane? I'm a man. I'm a big man. All right. Are you an appliance? <laughs> your stove? It's Steve, actually. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so upon their return to uh, Busgayeth War College, the second war games takes place. Uh, during this task, Violet manifests her signet, woohoo! which we've learned that she can wield lightning. You yeah. badass bitch. <laughs> she uses her newly discovered power to kill Jack. Finally. Woo-hoo! Let's yeah. throw a block party. Jack is dead in order to protect <laughs> her friend Liam. Afterwards, Violet's very upset, naturally, about her power, as well as the fact that she had to take a life. She kills Jack. So what do you think about her ability to wield lightning, first of all, and then her reaction to it? Yeah, I mean, badass. Right? Right? I loved this when I was reading it. One of my favorite parts was when, you know, she she wields the lightning. She takes Jack down and Tan's just like lightning wielder. Like, he yes. like and he's just like so proud of her. And he's like, yeah, this is awesome. And I felt the same way. I was like, yeah, Violet, that's badass. You go, girl. This is awesome. Take <laughs> out Jack. Bring down the skies and take him out. Um it was just, it was really fun again to read pretty much everything in the second half of this book. I was like, I love oh, this. Yeah. I love this. I love this. I just loved everything like one after the next. I was like, I don't know what I love more, but this was such a fun scene to read. This was such a cool reveal of her power finally, because we had been leading up to this. We were waiting, you know, what's her power going to be? And it was just so awesome. And I really liked her reaction to it. So even though I'm sitting here like, it was badass, you go girl, this is awesome. <laughs> she had concerns. And this was, I think, 100% within her character that yes. she's seeing this as I'm going to be used as a weapon. They're going to need me to kill all these people now. And she feels conflicted over that. And it would make sense that she feels conflicted over killing Jack. This is the first person that she's had to kill. So it makes sense. And I really, once again, I really love this idea in this novel about the reluctant hero that, you know, she has this power and she doesn't want to use it. And I think that this is going to play a big role in the sequel and the coming novels where we have the Venom, which are so hungry for power versus Violet, who is saying, yeah, I have this power, but I don't want to use it for evil. Um, right. So I think that's a great dichotomy. And I can't wait to see, you know, where this where this takes us. But overall, great scene. Love the power. And I really enjoyed seeing her conflicted about it as well. so i I really love that my girl violet got this power and that you know it comes from passion because she sees one of her friends that she's very close with almost die because of this man that she actually gave a second chance or third chance she gives so many chances to this guy she doesn't kill him you know with the oranges as we saw so uh it's very interesting to see that you know obviously her first kill is jack i mean couldn't happen to a better person in my opinion (laughs) 
But, you know, of course, she's going to be upset about that. You know, that's in, in her character, as we've been saying. And of course, she's going to feel conflicted now. You know, she took a life, something that she always, you know, w- never wanted to do. She never aimed to take a life. That wasn't her intention. But it's something that she needs to do in order to grow uh, as a writer. So it was a big turning point for her. Um, as far as the lightning wielding goes, so badass. <laughs> uh, I love this. I, I can't wait to see in the next book how she'll harness it better and how she's going to, mm-hmm. you know, develop that power. I would love to see her, you know, just put up her hands and just thousands of lightning bolts come out and take out a whole fleet. I think it's so sick, yeah. the whole idea of it. And I, I would love to see that. So um, I'm looking forward to to the next book and, and the, the rest of the books in the series and seeing how she works with that power. Yeah. And, you know. I as, think it's oh sorry go ahead no I was just gonna say as far as Jack goes see ya yeah <laughs> not gonna cry so I think it's also extremely telling that Violet's trigger to finally killing someone was to protect someone else yes. so he was coming after Liam and if she hadn't acted Liam would have been killed and that was what you know finally triggered her to to harness her power and to use it in a fatal way. So I think that once again, it's very in line with her character, but it was really yes. cool to see that um, happen as well, that she didn't just kill for no reason. She killed because she was protecting somebody that she cares about very much. Again, on character <laughs> with her. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I just wanted to also say that I think it's so interesting that Zayden's power is like darkness, shadows, and that Violet's is the complete opposite. It's It's mm-hmm. light, you know, it's I don't know. I just think it's such a cool idea to have them both, you know, intertwined with each other, but also be complete opposites when it comes to the power. I just think it'll work really well together yeah. in battle for sure. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> so excited. So after all of this happens, Dane tells Violet that she never needs to use her power again. And Zayden understandably gets very angry. <laughs> <laughs> just you <laughs> but he gets very upset he explains that she can choose how to use her power but that it can be used as a, a significant force in the war and not just as a tool for bad and that she will ultimately have the choice he says yes you have this power but you're still a person you still have the autonomy to choose how you use this power and he also says that you know it makes sense that you'll be upset but you're going to have to learn how to kind of get past it you know he's like you're never going to to be okay with it, but you're going to have to come to terms with the fact that you might have to kill people again in the future, but it might have to be to protect people. Think of how many people you can protect with this power versus how many people you can kill with this power. And I thought that that was really nice. After uh, after that whole situation that Donnie Brooke happens, I know that's not our word, but it just fit. Um, <laughs> but Zayden visits Violet later that night to provide support, knowing that she was upset by the whole ordeal. This does result in them sleeping together for the first time what do you think <laughs> what do you think about the difference between the advice given to her by both Dane and Zayden and how do you feel about Violet and Zayden's sexcapades yeah well you know what um once again, this is Dane doing my girl dirty. You know what I mean? You know, instead of uh, being able to help her again, you know, train with her or show her how she can control her power more efficiently. You know, he's once again being uh, Debbie Downer Dane. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Whereas Aiden steps up to the plate and says, no, you know, it's not negative. She can definitely use this for good. Uh, you know, he's so unsupportive, Dane. You know, this is not somebody that you would expect to be a best friend. Or somebody that she would have grown up with that claims to know her well. Uh, he He's the complete opposite of that. So uh, it's in character with him, of course. You know, this is how he's been. He's a little bitch. Sorry, I hate him. <laughs> um, 
but that just goes to show the difference uh, in advice that she gets from Zayden, who's supposed to be the guy that's going to kill you. Zayden is a marked guy. He's a traitor. You can't trust him. But can we trust Dane, though, the guy that she's supposed to go to for help when he doesn't even offer her any help? No assistance. Unsupportive. And he's just, you know, he's not great for uh, Violet's well-being and, um, you know, for her to grow and and be who she needs to be to survive. Um, how do I feel about Violet and Zayden's sex escapades, girl? You know how I feel about that. <laughs> <laughs> I could not wait for this scene to happen. And I was not disappointed. There was trees burning. There was <laughs> shit flying around the room. All the furniture was getting destroyed. My boy Zayden had to protect her with the with the shadows. It it was great. There was a lot of uh a lot of fun stuff in that sex capade um <laughs> you know chapter. Uh and, and it was electric, you know, it goes to show how both of their it was kind of a preview of how both of their powers can work together in a way. Mm -hmm. And obviously my girl Violet needs to control yeah. <laughs> her power so she's not setting things ablaze. But <laughs> it was a fun read for sure. Yeah, yeah. So, all right, starting with Dane and Zayden. I mean, just once again, completely off the mark, Dane. He's always on the wrong side in terms of, you know, what kind of advice you should give somebody in a situation like this and whether or not it's going to be the right advice. His advice in this situation is just unrealistic to mm -hmm. tell somebody you never have to use your power again. Like, what are we doing here, Dane? You know what I mean? Like, why are we even at this? Why are we even at this training school? Why are we here if not to learn how to use our powers? So to say that you'll never have to use it again is just unrealistic and it's harmful because it, it gives her this impression that she has all this power and she shouldn't use it because, you know, she's just a gentle girl who doesn't yeah. like to kill. You know, you don't need to it's use it, Violet. Girl. No, mm. shut up, Dean. <laughs> <laughs> just shut up. <laughs> and I think Zayden, you know, explaining to her exactly, you know, as I, as I summarized before, I just think it was the best advice that, that anybody could receive in a situation like that, which is that, yeah, you have this power and you need to learn how to use it for good and don't, you can't think of it as a negative thing. So even though you can and likely will use it to kill people, you need to think about the reasons for that. And it will be to protect people just like you did now. You you used your power and it it saved Liam's life. And right. in the future, how many other lives will you save in, you know, by using this power? So I think that that was a more realistic view of what the situation is. And obviously it's the better, the better advice. Oh, of course. I mean, he looks, uh, Dane looks at Violet like she's a, a little wilting flower, like her name implies. <laughs> yeah. Keep bringing up flowers. <laughs> but, uh, but then we go to Zayden his nickname for her which is violence i mean he sees her potential he sees what she can be and that she can overcome all of these you know labels that she's getting from everyone else and all these viewpoints such as dane seeing her as this little girl who can't you know succeed but look how far she's come you know so of course she needs to be able to harness that power so this way she can do good with it and he should know from growing up with her dane that she is good you know that she's gonna want to use it for good so once again, he just womp womp. I, I can't stand Dane, you know, yeah. limb by limb in the next book, please. Yeah. And in, in terms <laughs> okay. of uh, uh, the sex capades, it, it was definitely a good payoff. We've been feeling the tension for a while. We had the kiss and now this was the natural progression of that. It was a fun scene to read. Um, it was kind of funny to see how she basically just lit the whole the whole room up, <laughs> the whole forest. She's just causing a lot of damage. Definitely needs to learn how to control that. I did think the chapter was a little long. It's just my opinion. It's not 
not, I don't really enjoy it as, you know, reading about it as yeah. much, but I, it, it did have a good payoff and it was, it was fun. So yeah. just to let you guys know, me and Alex aren't exactly into smut reading, but this chapter, I want to say was a little between PG and, and R. It, it wasn't X-rated uh, to mm. an extreme like other books. And this scene did have a purpose. It wasn't just thrown in there. Plus, you know, we were kind of waiting for it. And when it happened, we were like, fine you know so uh it, it was good yeah <laughs> so on the anniversary of the squashing of the tyranny's rebellion dane casually touches violet's face in what initially seems to be an affectionate gesture however we later discover that he did so in order to read her memories against her will and learn about where zayden had been recently dane mm-mm-mm. The following day, the third War Games task commences and Zayden, as well as all the other marked riders, very suspicious, are sent beyond the wards. Violet decides to join Zayden despite Dane's objection and he simply says, I'll miss you, Violet. We learn later that Dane confirms suspicions that Zayden and the Marked Ones have been providing support to the Griffin Riders with whom Navarre is at war and that they're sent beyond the wards as a test of their loyalty, either to return to Buzzgoyth War College or help the Griffin Riders attack an enemy of Venon, Wyvern, army on a local village. So what do we think about this? And... Yeah. Fucking Dane. I know. So I thought that, yeah, I mean, immediately I was upset with Dane. Uh, once this reveal comes about that, you know, the reason that the leadership, the military leadership is aware of what's been going on with Zayden is because he, you know, in a seemingly nice gesture was, you know, touching her face. And really he was just using it to get information about where he's been. He confirmed those suspicions. And then as a result, basically this entire group of marked ones are sent beyond the wards to be killed. And they are given that choice. You can either come back and align with us, or you can help these Griffin riders. And, you know, basically they believe that they'll all be killed by the venom. So the fact that Dane knows this, A, I think gives us some information, not only about where his allegiances ultimately lie, but also about his um, security clearance, because he has mentioned previously that he has a higher security clearance because of his signet, which is that he can read memories. And now we can kind of see that he is working with the leadership. And maybe that's why he feels so strongly about, you know, following rules and stuff, because he's kind of been really indoctrinated into their mission and used, uh, maybe he has a heightened sense of importance because, you know, as a second year he is being used for gathering information um i really liked that violet made the decision to go with zayden even when dane was like no you know you're gonna get killed and she's like no i'll be okay like i'll be with him and i have my power and i have taryn and indarna like i'll be okay um so i was glad that she didn't stay just because dane was trying to convince her to and i think that he's a sneaky little snake (laughs) and I I hope that this opened Violet's eyes to his true character. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I read this the first time, uh, I actually went back and I was like, did he touch her face? That piece of shit. Did he yeah. do it? And he fucking did. I did and I couldn't believe thing. it. And I, what a traitor. You know what I mean? I, I mean, he was building up the whole time to be a traitor to Violet, not helping her and giving her, you know, the aid she needs and the correct support. But to go and do that, how low can you go? And you know, this woman 
her whole life. Uh, so I just, you know, it was disheartening for me to see that he really did do that. And as far as the clearance goes, that he has this highest security clearance, perhaps maybe he struck some kind of deal. Don't kill me like they did with Jeremiah when they snapped his neck. Don't hurt me because, you know, I can provide all this, you know, uh, benefit to you. I can read memories. Um, did he do it for higher power? Is he getting rid of Zayden because of some animosity or, you know, some uh, some harnessed bad feelings because of the whole Amber thing? The fact that he tells Violet, I'll miss you instead of warning her is another thing like, oh, if she dies, who cares? But you were so concerned about Amber. It just it's it's so awful to see um, because it, it's it's disheartening for for Violet because she really sees this as someone as a friend, you know, someone who she grew up with and she could have trusted, but obviously clearly can not yeah as far as the all the marked ones being sent to their death how horrible is that and the fact that dane is behind that as well um i hope that the first chapter of iron flame just shows dane being tortured by a dragon or something <laughs> i want him dead i'm sorry you don't get to you know keep doing my girl violet dirty and then you know trying to take out all these marked um children who are thrown into this writer's quadrant not because they're traitors but because their parents were deemed as traitors you know what i mean and that's the story you're told you don't really know maybe they were or maybe they had something um you know that was valuable and they were just killed off like we said with that quote before um so we don't really know the whole the whole truth of that um and neither does dane or does he we don't know um but either way he's definitely not on the right side so it yeah. was disheartening to see it's definitely sure. possible that dane does know about the venom i i think it's it's definitely something that we're gonna find out in iron flame whether he does for sure or not but i i do think he he does know about them. And I, I also think that he is somebody that just blindly follows leadership and he expected the same from Violet. So I think by the, the time we reach this point in the book, he is feeling some kind of way towards Violet. I think he himself feels betrayed and you can, you know, disagree with, with him feeling that way. I don't think he necessarily, that's a valid, you know, I don't think it's valid for him to be feeling that. However, I do think he does feel a little betrayed by her. And I think at this point, he's kind of like, I'm going to try one last time to convince you not to go with Satan. And she makes her choice. And instead of trying to convince her further, he just is kind of come to terms with what decision she's finally made. And, you know, he knows that it's likely to result in her death. And he's just kind of come to an acceptance of it at this point. And I think that's been cool. building up for a while. But I mean, it's still, once again, it just comes back to like him being a bad friend because a, a true friend wouldn't just like cut you off like that and I don't think he has a valid reason for being upset with Violet he just expected her to listen to everything he said follow all of his advice and the fact that she didn't do that that she did have thoughts of her own and, and convictions of her own to to question him and to make you know differing decisions and listen to other people I think that that you know had been leading up to this point for Dane of him just being able to kind of cut Violet out. I think he knew it was always going to get to a point like this and it's just the time came. Yeah. In this scene too, she's wearing Zayden's jacket and, mm -hmm. I, and it becomes clear to him. I feel like he has the realization that they're, you know, a couple. Yeah. Um, and he, he views that as like, Oh, like with disgust, you know, with mm -hmm. disdain, <laughs> disdain. <laughs> Um, he, uh, you know, he, he looks at her like, okay, well, you know, uh, you're making bad choices cause you're not making my choices. And that's very, I don't want to say narcissistic, but maybe, mm. um, you know, but it's, it's, it's a little, it goes back to him having power trips where they may not be warranted. Um, and you know, viewing it as, oh, I told you to leave and you didn't leave. So now that you, you know, that I, now that I know that you're with him, you might as well go die with him. Ugh. It's so off-putting. 
Yeah. I also do agree with you that I think he maybe cut some kind of deal with the leadership in terms of, you know, this is what my power is like, use me, you know, use this power to your advantage. And I think that he has 100% like drank their Kool-Aid. Yeah. He's <laughs> I think- a sellout. Yeah, sure. I, I think he is just completely on board with it. I, I Whether he knows about the Venom or not, I think there's, e- even if he doesn't know when he eventually finds out and we see that happen in Iron Flame, I still think he chooses this side. I think it'd be interesting to read a redemption arc for Dane and maybe see yeah. him switch sides at some point and say, oh shit, I didn't realize what was really happening. I was kept in the dark too, and then maybe switch right. over. Um, But I don't see it happening. I think that he's one of these people that, he's going to follow this leadership into the ground and he's going to go down with that ship. Yeah, he seems so indoctrinated and brainwashed at this point. Yeah. I feel like maybe there's no way of re, you know redeeming him. But I, I would like to see that too. I agree with you where, you know, in the next book, she comes back, Violet, and she warns everybody and says, oh, this is what's really going on. Or she warns him. But I don't know if that's going to happen now because now she doesn't trust him. So would she trust him with that information? I, I don't, don't think I don't think she, she would, would probably turn her in then. You know what I mean? Like as a traitor, I, I just I don't see any redemption from him. But like you said, it would be interesting to read. So Mm -hmm. I could definitely see her confronting him about it, but I don't think he'll be the, I don't think he'll learn about it from Violet. If he doesn't already know about it, I think he'll find out in some other way. And I think there would be some kind of, there's going to have to be some type of confrontation at some point. And I think, you know, she might say, you know, something along the lines of, did you know about this? If not, you know, you're an idiot. <laughs> and if you yeah. did, then you're my enemy. Something like in, uh, I, I think it's important to speech that- in Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's important too for her character building for her to grow that she needed a situation like this. So Mm -hmm. she knows she can't trust him. She knows that she can't, um, you know, that that basically he's, you know, he violated her trust by touching her without her realizing it. Now she, you know, she knows going forward, maybe um, Zayden withholding any information was warranted because he was concerned that this might happen. And good thing he didn't tell her certain things, which we're going to get to soon. Yeah, um, that actually leads right into our next question. Yeah. So yeah. while while, while they're um, en route to Beyond the Wards, Violet learns that Zayden and the other marked ones have been providing assistance to the Griffin Riders by supplying them with weapons to fight against the Venon and Wyvern army. Violet feels betrayed and blindsided, not only by Zayden, but also by Imogen, Imogen, okay, I always say her name <laughs> wrong, uh, Imogen, Liam, Garrick, Tarn, and Andarna. Do you think that she is justified in feeling betrayed? I feel like you were just getting into this, so I yeah. think it's good time. <laughs> Perfect timing. Yeah. So, I mean, justified in a betrayal standpoint of her friends not telling her or not filling her in on the information or trusting her enough with it. Yes. You know, I feel like obviously she should feel betrayed, of course. But at the same time, you know, there's a reason why they didn't. And good thing they did not. Because with Dane touching her face, you know, and finding out her memories, he would have found out more information and it would have been harmful to the group um, and to their future plans, of course. So I could see why they held back. Not that they didn't trust her, but they didn't trust that friendship or, you know, lack of friendship, really, if you want to know the truth with Dane. I mean, Zayden did see uh, Dane kiss her. Not that he thinks that she has feelings for him that's reciprocated, but, um, you know, he does have access to her memories. You know, he he knows that she's naive uh, and she is up until this point. She's a little bit naive in her character where she is a little too trusting of Dane, thinking that he would never do anything to harm her. And it's quite the opposite, which she learns now. So I think that she has every right to feel betrayed. 
But once she actually uses her brain that she's, you know, got a, she's very smart. So once she realizes that, you know, this is why they didn't tell me, oh, I get it now. That's why she's on board to, to help them out. So, yeah, I think that she is justified in feeling betrayed. Um, I get I, I understand what you're saying that they maybe couldn't trust Dane and because she was so close with him, they couldn't trust her with yeah. the information because he could have taken it from her. However, mm -hmm. I do think she has every right to feel betrayed and blindsided. And I do think it was the wrong decision on their part not to disclose the information to her. I think Zayden has seen that she has the ability to keep things secret. She chooses to keep things secret from her mom. She keeps things secret from everyone else. She has kept a secret from Dane in the past when he tried to take the memory about Andarna she told him no and he, he didn't get it so I think if they had been upfront with her and had explained it to her she would have understood the stakes involved she is intelligent she would have understood that and I think she would have done everything in her power to ensure that Dane didn't get those memories especially if it was a specific request and especially if Taryn and Andarna insisted on it as well because I think that that was the most hurtful towards to her was that Taryn and Andarna her two dragons that are with her all the time. They're in her head all the time. They know her. They didn't trust her with this information either. And I think that that was the wrong decision on all of their parts. Um, I, I disagree. Uh, I feel like the dragons know her inside and out and they're in her brain constantly. So they know that she wasn't ready to have that information and to process that information, perhaps because they know she's naive um, and that she would be too trusting maybe with Dane or someone else. Um, it's not that they don't trust her. I feel like they just knew that she had, she still had to grow in order to get that information. So I think they held back because they felt she wasn't ready, just like they held back giving her the power until she was ready. So I feel like maybe that has something to play in there. But she has think, every right to feel betrayed, of course. I think it's just an inconsistency in the book, because why demonstrate to us on multiple occasions, not just once, but twice, that she had information that could be detrimental to Zayden, to the dragons, and she chooses not to disclose that. She makes it a point to keep that information secure. She even does it with her dad. She even protects her dad's secrets in his research, and yet they didn't think that she could be trusted with this because of Dane. To me, it, it's an inconsistency in the book. I personally did have an issue with this whole reveal. I think that given how intelligent Violet is, given the breadcrumbs she's been given throughout this novel, you know, I talked about this earlier, where we get these little puzzle pieces. And as a reader, you're trying to figure it out. I shouldn't have had to figure it out before Violet. It's I think implied that she's supposed to be exceptionally brilliant. And I would assume she's probably smarter than me. She should have figured this out. I would have liked to have seen her confront this group, confront Taryn, confront Zayden, and then have them disclose the information and say, we were going to tell you, but I didn't get a chance to yet versus her being completely blindsided by all of this. And then just saying, oh, well, we couldn't really trust that, you know, you could you know, you could have this information. I think it's just inconsistent with her character. I think it's inconsistent with what we've already established in the novel that she is capable of. And I just think it was it was a misstep by all of them. Uh, this is again where we disagree, but healthy agree to disagree. But I, I, you know how as smart as she is, and we definitely disagree on this because we've talked about this before. But um, as smart as she is, sometimes you can get blindsided by love. And even though she did ask him certain questions, Zayden, um, you know, she didn't press the issues. And I think that's because uh, she has a soft spot for him. So I think that's why she yeah. um, may maybe didn't use to think clearly in certain aspects. I just, and the reason I disagree with you on this is because it's not just about Zayden. It's not 
you know, something that's specific to Zayden. It's information that she's getting from her dad. It's information that she's seeing with her own two eyes about the professors. This has nothing to do with Zayden. And she's still choosing not to question it. She's still choosing not to try to think or have a a curiosity about this. And, you know, it, it was also the dragons are keeping this from her. It's also Imogen and Liam and Garrick and, and all of the marked ones that she's grown really close to. It's not just Zayden. So yeah, I, I, the reason I disagree with you on that is, yes, I believe people can be blinded by love in terms of ignoring red flags in a person, but it's not going to make you just stop questioning other things. Like, why are these scrolls not being presented in class? Has right. nothing, you know what she, I mean? She does question those things. She just doesn't question, question them enough. But I think, too, this goes back to her heart being too big and for her um, always wanting to see the good in people that just sometimes she has to learn that it's not always there. And I think this is a turning point for her that going forward, she's going to grow and she's going to start wising up to the fact that not everybody is good, including Dean. I just, once again, I just think it's inconsistent with her character. Yes, she does have a big heart, but somebody who isn't as intelligent as Violet should have a natural curiosity to want to solve inconsistencies. So especially the letter from her dad, you know, we get that letter. And as a reader, you're like, ooh, breadcrumb. And Violet's just kind of like, what do you think this means? Oh, okay. And then we know she doesn't think about it again until we kind of get to this point. And it's just it bizarre to me to think that she wouldn't see a, a hidden letter from her dead father. And it has some very cryptic information that is consistent with what she's starting to already see happening for her to have no natural curiosity about that and not be trying to work that through. I just would have liked to have seen that more in the novel. I think it would have been more interesting to read about than to just have her be this naive girl who gets blindsided by all of these people that, you know, supposedly we're supposed to be, you know, very close to her because she's friends with Dane. Come on. I think it was just a little, I didn't, I didn't like this. Yeah. Well, she definitely, she has to grow though. And she, she definitely is. She has, she has grown. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that writing it in the way that I suggested is a lack of growth. In fact, I I think it, it promotes this idea of the growth that she has gone through. I agree. All right. Cousin conflict. (laughs) (laughs) So before she can fully process the information about the knowledge now that she has of this Venon and Wyvern, an attack on a local village begins and the group must decide in an instant whether to fight alongside the Griffin Riders or to return to the college. So everyone decides to fight, including Violet, who says, quote, I've been defenseless and now I'm a rider. Riders fight. So what do you think of her decision? You're muted. Sorry, I was muted. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I love this decision. I think that this is the right decision. I don't think there was any really any situation where she wasn't going to agree to fight. And I think as a reader, we knew that it was interesting to see this group kind of questioning it, especially because the Griffin riders were kind of, they don't know Violet at all. And they're kind of like, oh, you know, you'll you'll never get General Sorengale's daughter to fight on your side. Like, you're crazy. Yeah. What are you thinking? And I think Zayden and, and everyone else who's grown to know her really understands her better than that and knows she's not leaving here without trying to protect these innocent people. She knows that there's children here, there's innocent mm-hmm. men and women that are just living their lives, that are just getting attacked for absolute no reason. And, you know, potentially we're lured here by the military leadership to kill the marked ones. You know, at this point, they've learned that this was kind of a test of their loyalty. Are they going to stay and fight or are they going to return to Baskayeth? And I think that, you know, she does have that protectiveness in her where she doesn't want to see innocent people killed for no reason. And she has the power to prevent that. 
And there's no way that she's walking away from this fight. Yeah. And this is a turning point for readers, too, because, I mean, we kind of get this idea anyway. We, we see this group for who they really are, these marked writers. And they're not bad people as they're depicted to be, you know, warranting this prejudice from everyone mm-hmm. um, in higher society. So, you know, I think it's it's there's no way that Violet was going to say no to this and be like, oh, I'm just going to go back to the college. That's not who Violet is. And And I think that it goes to show, too, that that, you know, the marked writers are good people. They're not just going to let children and innocent people get slaughtered. You know, the college, what did they want them to do? Just be like, oh, well, screw these people. I'm going to go back to the college because I want to prove my loyalty. What person, what sane person knowing that a, a, a massacre is about to occur and you could do something to help, um, you know, would flee and leave. Uh, only a coward does something like that. So uh, Someone I like think Jack. <laughs> Well, I was going to say, I think we know what Dean would have done, but (laughs) but Jack too, Uh, you know, and it just goes to show that uh, Violet is with the group she belongs with. You know, I I know she's not a marked character, but she was thrown into the writer's quadrant just like they were. Yeah. And they, you know, she seems to be on board with them for the simple fact, too, that she wants to to help save lives. The marked ones choose to stay and fight because they want to help, you know, save lives. Uh, Whereas the people who are supposed to be the good ones like Dane and the rule followers, they would flee. uh, And, you know, they are testing their loyalty. So if they do come back and they're loyal, then what? All those people died and you helped also um, cause that. So it's, it's very interesting. Interesting. Um, this whole scene, first of all, the rest of the book from this point on is just epic. Uh, everything that goes on is just so great to read and so exciting. I couldn't put the book down. Yeah. And I, I think the decision is in line with her character. Um, she would have never left. Of course, she's going to mm-hmm. stay and fight. So, yeah, you know, and it was interesting to read, too, that it was right after the fact that she felt betrayed. And even though she's still hurt and even though she's still feeling betrayed, she makes the right choice to do what she knows is right. Yeah. I think it's also implied in the book that the rebels, the Tyrannies rebels knew about the Venom. I think I I can't remember if I said this earlier, but um, and that they were fighting against, you know, the the army of Navarre to to basically be safe from the Venom. And right, to right fight against them. them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And because of that, the children of these rebels knew about the Venom as well. So I think that this whole group already knew about all of this. And, and suspicions. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, so during the battle, the group survives despite some casualties, including Liam. Poor Liam. So what did you think of Liam's death and the death of his dragon day? This was such a hard scene to read uh, because you really do grow attached to Liam. And he's such a good guy. He He's always putting himself, Violet, safety in, in front of his own. You know that he's uh, crafting these little carvings and he has a character. He has a personality. He's, a, he's somebody you root for. And to see him die that way so tragically. I mean, for anyone who doesn't read this, his dragon is completely annihilated by the wyvern the venom conjure these you know dragon-like beings they're not you know necessarily the dragons like you know tarn and everybody else but they're these beings that are you know violent and they're going for the characters that are fighting against them and one of them completely annihilates liam's dragon and then once that dragon dies uh liam has minutes to survive it shows that once the dragon dies uh you know the the bonded person cannot go on they can't live so to see him who was not even hurt uh just you know have to die that way uh was another turning point for violet you know to watch and um another motivator for her going forward i i cried in this scene and i still feel something even talking about it now so um it was really hard that was the hardest part of reading this novel was that scene for me it was so tragic yeah, yeah. this was the bad this was an 
epic battle scene. It was really interesting to see how these men in fight, to see these wyvern in action. They're kind of like these zombie dragons. Um, they're similar to dragons. The only difference really is that they have two legs instead of four, um, but they are just indestructible. So the only way to kill them is if you take down the venom who created them. And you see like you're you're in Violet's head, you're watching this entire thing where this wyvern is just eviscerating day, uh, Liam's dragon. And they're they're making these killing blows at the wyvern. It should be dead, and it's just continuing its attack until this poor dragon is just like ripped to shreds. It was extremely hard to read. It, it was very difficult. And then, like you said, seeing Liam then who wasn't even injured, but who then dies because uh, basically the reason that a rider can't live without their dragon is because they have so much power channeled through them from their dragon that their bodies without the the channeling of the dragon cannot sustain that amount of power. And it just, it, it, it takes them. They can't survive without it. So it was extremely difficult to see that. I was like, how, how are you going to kill Liam? He's not even injured. <laughs> he kids in, you know, and then you're, you're reading how he's like, please just bring me, just bring me today. You know, I know I only have minutes, just get me today. And in the end, they couldn't even get him all the way to him, which was just, so that sad. made, that made me even more sad, I think, because I was like, oh my God, Becky yours. Are you kidding me? You couldn't even yeah. be next to him. You know, like, um, it, it was heartbreaking. He didn't, he didn't deserve that. It was heartbreaking. Yeah. And you know, and it's sad too, because Violet was able to harness her power and save him when he was yeah. you know fighting with Jack and it just shows that she's still so it's so early on in her training that she doesn't know how to control it yet so she wasn't able to save him this time around mm -hmm. and I think that this is gonna really damage her and help her to grow and to want to you know control that power so she can help save her friends going forward so it was a very yeah. important scene I believe for the future of the series. Absolutely. And I think, you know, seeing the the Venom and the Wyvern in action, definitely, I mean, there's no way you come out of this battle thinking that you can just go back to everyday life, you know, <laughs> after seeing what she, she saw, how do you just pretend that this shit doesn't exist? You know, how do you just pretend that everything's okay? How do you just go back listening to these people that are pretending that this doesn't happen you know, outside the wards that you weren't sent into this situation willingly that, you know, your friends were sent into this situation to be killed by these people. There, there's no way that you can turn back now. Um, and I think that this sets the tone, this will set the tone for the coming novels. This is definitely going to be a catalyst for the, the rest of Violet's journey. You know, and the whole novel, you know, Violet's the underdog and you're rooting for her. And it was so nice to see like that, even though it came too late, her brain is her, her biggest weapon, her biggest power, really. Um, And she's able to realize it clicks that once you take a venom down, all of the wyvern that they've conjured will fall. So I think that she's going to be very valuable going forward in war. I think mm -hmm. that um coming to that realization is going to help them going forward, stop these wyvern. I, I mean, um these venom and wyvern. <laughs> um, stop the venom and I think that that's going to be even more powerful than knowing that the daggers take them out so uh, I'm oh, very yeah. excited we didn't even mention that did you mention it no I'm sorry uh, yeah uh, so the before but yeah, the dagger that um, we discovered on General Sorengale's desk 
earlier in the book with the tyranny symbols on it. Dane, uh, not Dane, definitely not Dane. Zayden actually <laughs> no. uh, gives several, I, I think he gives her a couple, one or two. At least two, yeah. To, to Violet, because these are the only weapons that can take down a, a Venom. So that was a really interesting thing to learn. I think that's also going to be something that's very important in the coming books. And it's going to be interesting to see if, if Violet, with her, her, you know, intelligence and her research that she's done, if she can maybe figure out a new way to kill them, or at least maybe a way to manifest whatever power is in those daggers in a more widespread way to take out more, you know, because I mean, a dagger, you need to be in pretty uh, close, you need to be in a close Proximate, battle. Yeah. yeah. So maybe she can use that. Maybe she can channel it through her lightning. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but either way, um, it is important to know that those daggers are the only weapon that can kill the venom at this point. Yeah. That whole scene was amazing to watch. Just that whole battle, um, you know, to watch unfold. I know that we're reading it, but I, I vision it envision in my yeah. head but yeah. it was it was exciting to uh you know to be a part of that and to, to see all of that unfold and um that's when you realize too that her mother knew because she had one of those blades on her desk and you're just like that bitch you yeah. know like that's when it all clicked yeah <laughs> uh, so you know that's that's exciting too and i had to go back again to that chapter also and i was like she did have it on her desk didn't she and she did and i was just like ah. Uh, but it goes to show again how you know dane had the opportunity if he knew i don't know if he did know about about the venom but he could have given her some kind of heads up or some kind of tool to help um, her make sure she, you know, for her survival. Whereas Aiden steps up to the plate once again and says, look, I'll give myself two less or how many, however many he gave her. So this way you have a fighting chance and this is what you could take them out with. So, yeah, yeah. Great scene. Very exciting um, mm -hmm. to see what comes up in the follow in the next couple of books. And yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, during the battle, Violet, as smart as she is and as powerful as she is, she's struck by a venom's blade, which happened to be poisoned. So due to her extensive knowledge of poison, she's able to relay the poison used before losing consciousness. Zayden brings her to a location that is later to be revealed as the capital of Tyrandor. Tyrandor. And Zayden's home, it was Zayden's home before it was decimated in the war. We also learn that she was brought to this location to be mended by... Her brother, Brennan. Brennan. He's alive. <laughs> Oof. What a cliffhanger this is because yeah. the book just ends after we find that out. <laughs> uh, so what do you think of that crazy ending? What do you think about the fact that he's alive? What do you think, girl? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this, as soon as this book ended, it was like, and then Brendan walked in and I was like, oh my God. And then the book just ends. And I was like, fuck you, Becky. Fuck you, Be <laughs> fuck you, Becky yours. How dare you? <laughs> you know what I mean? I know. But I mean, I loved this reveal. I thought that it was so interesting. There was a moment earlier in the book where they're talking about how uh, Taryn's previous bonded writer was trying to resurrect Brennan and that's how he was killed. So at the time I was like, oh, it would be cool if that worked. And now I'm like, did it work? Is that what happened? Or, you know, was he resurrected or did he fake his death? I need to know. I need to know what happened and I want the answers now. I can't wait till November. But yeah, oh I mean, this was such a great reveal. It was... Um, it was just really I, I'm mind blowing at the time. I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe he really is alive. I need to know. I need answers now about what happened. Yeah. You know, Alex told me when she read this because she read it before I did that she had a book hangover afterwards. <laughs> 
And I didn't understand what she meant, but I completely understand now <laughs> because no book is holding up when I read it. I'm like, oh, I just want to read that book again. Or I want to read the next chapter, you know, the next book and the series. But I have so many questions. So Brennan's alive. We find out about uh, the dragon, you know, the last writer that tried to uh, to, to revive um, Brennan. And obviously, did it work? Obviously, something worked, right? Because he's alive. So why did he fake his death if, you know, he didn't go back to the people and tell them like, okay, well, you know, I'm alive, by the way, not even his parents. So, so many questions there. Obviously, he's on a different team. Uh, did Zayden know he was alive? Yeah. I mean, I guess, right? Because he brought her there. Um, yeah. Did he did he ask Ta- uh, Terry? Uh, did Brennan ask Taryn to um, to bond with his sister? I mean, I just have so many questions. Do the dragons know? It's just, it's so yeah. exciting. I, I think at one point Zayden says to Violet, like, I, I liked you before, like for way longer than you can even know. So we, we definitely know that he knew Brennan was alive because as she is kind of in and out of consciousness, she hears him saying, they're like, oh, we need to get her back to Amender. And he's like, I have someone better. So he already knows that he's taken her yeah. to Tirandor. He's taken her to Brennan. He's going to mentor. So I think it's implied that they knew each other. And Maybe Brennan was talking about Violet. Maybe he, yeah. you know, knew Maybe about that's Violet. Why Zayden has a soft and spot for her. Exactly. So yeah. And I think that we have a lot more to learn, but it was really, I think there's going to be a story there that I, I want to hear. Oh, definitely. And I love that the whole last chapter too is in Zayden's perspective. So we get a little more understanding of, you know, his feelings and, and what he's thinking, you know, and just the whole, the whole last page, I was told once again by Brian from Apple. <laughs> Shout out to Brian. What up, Brian? <laughs> um, but he told me, he didn't say, but he just said that the last page, actually his exact words were that last page. When you get there, I can't wait to hear your, <laughs> your thoughts. And my thoughts were, what? <laughs> I was like, what just happened? I had to reread it again. Because when I was on the last page, you know, a couple of uh, paragraphs up, I was like, nothing's happening on the last page. <laughs> I was expecting this. I was like, what's going on? And then all of a sudden I read that and I was not disappointed. I was like, say what? So <laughs> I know it was funny. Jess was telling me right after she read this, she was like, I got to the last page and I was like, what is everybody talking about? Because like nothing's <laughs> happening. And then literally like the last sentence, you're like, what? Yeah, like, I don't know there's a knock the... on the door. It's her brother. I was like, what do you mean it's her brother? You know, how do we not see that coming? Yeah. Uh, that's another thing. That's why I wanted to read it over again, because I was like, I didn't see this. Like, yeah. I, I just I, I'm usually good at predicting some things. And I did not. That came out of left field, hit me like a brick. So very good, Rebecca Yar Yar. Yeah. <laughs> good job with that. Uh, I cannot wait until Iron Flame. So this yeah. way I can learn more about Brennan. And I love that they're rebuilding the city also. Yeah. Yeah. And that was great to learn that as well. Yeah. And it definitely gives you the impression that this is kind of like a revived rebellion. This is their new headquarters and it's probably a lot larger than we we think. So I can't wait to see more about this rebellion. I can't wait to see more of this conflict between the rebels or what I, I'm just referring them to them as the rebels now, but I, I imagine <laughs> the they rebellious will, people. The, <laughs> they will become the rebellious people. <laughs> Um, but I, I can't wait to see how the rest of this story unfolds. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. And I'm excited to find out too, if Mira knew he was alive. Cause I don't think she does. I don't um, think there's but, any way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
Yay. So I know. Good. All right. So in our Thursday episode this week, we will discuss our predictions for the sequel and what we want to see happen in the next book. But before we give our overall ratings, what do you think of the cover art for this book? And after reading the book, does it make sense to you? Okay. So it, it makes complete sense because they basically spell it out on the cover. <laughs> uh, there's two dragons, one's black and one's gold. So we know <laughs> she's going to get two dragons and we know the colors they're going to be. Obviously, you don't realize that when you see it for the first time, but it does make complete sense. The artwork, uh, once you know the story and once you know uh, what happens there. So I love the uh, the artwork. I love the color combination. I think that it's beautiful to look at. So I was a fan. Yeah. I don't know if the, I, I don't think there's a gold dragon on the cover. I think the cover itself is gold. And then there's- no, there is, there's a gold dragon in the middle. Oh, okay. Um, I thought it was a, I thought it was white. I don't know. I got to look at it again, but it doesn't matter. Either way, I liked that the whole book cover was gold. So that at, at first I didn't really like the cover. I was like, I don't know. It's kind of ugly to me, but after reading it, I definitely felt like, oh, okay. I kind of get now why, you know, why it is gold and why it does have, you know, some of these, these elements in it. So it made more sense to me after. Yeah, look, just so you could see, you see in the middle, there's a gold dragon and then there's a black one on the uh, top. Yeah, it's, I see. It's the color. I mean, it's the color of the cover, but it's just like yeah. the outline. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. It's a foreshadowing, but you don't realize it until yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, All right. So, yep. Let's move on to our ratings. All right. Would you scoop or skip? And how many golden scoops would you give this, Alex? Okay. So <laughs> don't come at me, anybody. <laughs> For my rating, um, but I would definitely scoop this. I would definitely recommend this book. I thought that this book was a ton of fun. I did give it three and a half stars. Um, I did really enjoy it. I Like I said, it was a ton of fun to read. Just, I mean, you fly through it. It's so engaging. It has a really good plot. It has good characters, but I did have some writing concerns that I would like to see improvement on. So for example... I would like some more world building. I would like to have a better understanding of this world, Navarre, and what exactly it it's made up of, where the different territories are. I know there's a map at the beginning of the book, but it should really be explained in the book. I would like to have seen a little bit more breakdown of the school itself. And just in general, I thought I we mentioned I mentioned this earlier, but I think that you know, we hear so much about how intelligent Violet is, and we do see that in some areas. And then I feel like when it was convenient for the plot, they just made her less intelligent to be blindsided. And I think that that was inconsistent. I think it just needed a little bit of refinement there. Um, I, I also mentioned some concerns in our last episode with the tone where it's a considered a new adult, it reads more YA. And I do think that we needed a little bit of editing of the tropes in this book. Uh, every single thing I read in here reminded me of something else that I read. And it's fine to have inspirations from other areas, but I do think that you kind of need to take a step back sometimes when you're you're reading it, you know, from an author perspective and say like, do I need to include this element or can I maybe get rid of this one element or change this up in some way? Because otherwise it just didn't feel overall original. So even though it was a good book, it was a lot of fun. It didn't feel very original to me. It just seemed like she took a lot of what she had seen success in, in other books and just put it all into this one book. Yeah. I know you said that uh, there was some things that were reminiscent for you of Akatar. I didn't read Akatar yet, so I can't use that to base it off of. Uh, I wish I did. But um, I did notice some things as well. Like you said, you know, some things reminded me sometimes of Divergent and some things reminded me of 
some bits and pieces of other fantasy that I've read. Um, so I could tell that Rebecca Yaros definitely, you know, drew inspiration, this being her first uh, fantasy book. Um, I don't know about the YA. I guess they, it does seem that way because they're in a college. So you do get that vibe. The sex scene isn't YA. <laughs> no, that I, honestly, that was the only chapter where it read more NA, like it yeah. read more new adults, but the rest of the book, it just, they, the characters seemed more immature and it didn't feel like they were adults to me. I think I mentioned yeah. this in the last episode where I was like, wait, they're not 16. They're like 20, they're 23. I, you know, I had to keep like wrapping my brain around You're that. Right. I kept forgetting that they were in their twenties. Yeah. You're right about that. But otherwise, uh, I mean, I would read this book again and again and again. I give it a five stars. Maybe I could have given it 4.75 just because of some minor <laughs> flaws, uh, but not enough because the fact that I love it so much just makes it a five for me. It was the best book I read all year. Best book I've read in a long time, honestly. And I really, really enjoyed it. Um, the second I put it down, I wanted to start it again. So yeah. I did. <laughs> it's do always that. a good thing. Yeah. I, I got all the feels from this. You know, I cried. I laughed. I was rooting for Violet the whole time. I wanted her to succeed. I hated Dane. <laughs> I hated some of the characters. You know, the, the whole battle scene, that whole last 60 pages were so good. I just, the minor flaws for me uh, just didn't make me want to give it any less. So I loved it. And I definitely recommend you scoop it. I would yeah. recommend this book to anyone who loves fantasy or just wants to read something good. It was a ride for sure. So yeah. And you'll fly through it too. If you're intimidated by the size of it, don't no be. No pun intended. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> also, I, I did. I, I So I read well, I listened to the audiobook first and then almost immediately after finishing the audiobook, I read through it the whole the whole book. And some of that was because I was like, wait, did I miss something here? Like with Violet's illness and stuff like that. I was like, maybe I just missed something with the audiobook. And but then I was like, I just want to reread this because it's so much fun. I did have that book hangover. And then I read it again for the podcast. So I mean this is obvious. It's I really enjoy this book and it's something that I think if you're you're into fantasy, you're you're going to get hooked. You're going to oh, have yeah. a book hangover. <laughs> didn't you say too, or was it a different book that you didn't love the audio on this, the audio book? I, I didn't love the audio. So it you can tell that the narrator is a good narrator. She did a lot of really good voices. Every character felt very distinct. However, she clearly had some type of illness, like a cold or something. So throughout the entire, especially in the first half, it gets a little bit better towards the second half of the book. But in the first half, you can hear her kind of like gasping for air. They're, like she's very nasally. You can kind of hear her being like, like sucking oh. back mucus. Like it, it was, like, and for me, it was just very distracting because I, I don't know if I'm just like maybe sensitive to those like mouth sounds, but I was very like, it, it kind of gave me the ick the whole time. And I was like, mm. you know, I, I mean, I was able to listen to the whole thing. It didn't deter me from listening to it. And like I said, she, she was really good in portraying the different characters and I would listen to another narration by her. I think she just maybe should have held off on narrating this one until she had gotten over whatever <laughs> illness she had. Yeah. Uh, you know, so maybe just for those of you out there who haven't read it and, and really would like to after this uh, this podcast, uh, maybe don't listen to the audiobook first. Maybe um, grab a, a physical copy or, or read it, you know, on the Kindle first before yeah. diving into that so it doesn't change anything for you with your experience with the book. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yay. <laughs> okay, everyone, before we go, we have the Sassy Spatula Award to give out. The word was brouhaha, and the person who used it most was womp womp. No one, neither of us used the word of the day. We may have to reconsider this game that we've set up for ourselves because you guys suck. 
Next Tuesday, September 12th, we will be reading and reviewing Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin. Join us then for our thoughts on the contemporary fiction novel and join us again this Thursday, September 7th for another party episode. <laughs> Don't forget to mark your calendar for our next book of the month episode, which will air on Wednesday, September 27th. We'll be reading and discussing Karen Slaughter's critically acclaimed thriller, Pretty Girls. If you haven't read the upcoming books, but would like to head on over to the link in our bio and get a copy for yourself so that you can participate in our discussions. As an Amazon associate and member of other affiliate programs, we earn from qualifying purchases. You don't pay anything extra, but if you make a purchase using our link, we get a commission. So thank you for supporting us. If you're just tuning in, this is what you can expect from our podcast. We're going to be releasing new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. So be sure to check out our socials for updates and also some bonus content. You can find us on Instagram, TikTok, and other platforms. Click on the link in our bio for access to all of our socials, our website, and other links. We encourage you to reach out to us with thoughts, ideas, questions, and feedback. You can email us at bookswithcooks at gmail.com. You can also find our full book reviews on Goodreads. These links Links will also be available at the link in bio. If no one told you today, you're important and valued. You belong here. You're doing great. And we believe in you. Now let's turn the page and put a fork in it because we're done with this one. Let's move on to the make it stick activity. You want to give it to them, Jess? We're not going to give them the trivia? Oh, shit. Yes. Sorry. All right. We'll just cut this. Go on to the the trivia. (laughs) Well, fuck, man. I don't have it in front of me. (laughs) It's right here. Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Like, bitch, use your eyes. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, fucking Red Bull. All right. Before we give you the make it stick activity, here's some trivia about the word denigrate. First used in the 16th century, the words root. No. Yes. The word. (laughs) No. Yes. (laughs) It's taught over. All right. Hello, my darling. (laughs) I hate you. (laughs) Hello, my darling. Hello, my my same time girl. (laughs) What did I say? It's Grandma, Shani. Make sure you have your glasses for your book readings. My book readings. You guys suck. You guys love each other. Oh, no. Ladies and gentlemen, as you can see, the captain has turned on the fasten seatbelt sign. It appears we have run into a rough patch of weather. So I have an announcement, too. There is a colonial woman on the wing. It's a woman on the wing. I saw her. There is something they're not telling. Right. There's a colonial woman. She was turning Steve, butter. She was turning Steve butter on that wing. She is out there right now. Shit.